Watford friends and a happy Easter to you all. I'm so sorry I can't be with you in the flesh here today, but I did want to bring you a message about the resurrection. In fact, about, about having a transformed life, about how we go from fear to faith. We're going to look at the example of the Apostle Peter and how his life went from being dominated by fear, regret and hurt and pain, to being a life dominated by faith and hope and love. And it's all about encountering the resurrected Jesus. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, before we get into the detail, uh, a couple of things. First, never let anybody try and persuade you that the resurrection is not important to the Christian faith. It is vital. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12, and I'm going to be referencing quite a lot of scriptures here today. We won't be turning to all of them, but you can write them down for later if you like. In chapter 15, verse 12, if it is preached, Paul says that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, so is your faith. So the preaching of the gospel makes no sense. Our faith is of no value to us if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. Peter was a witness, Paul was a witness, many others, but we'll come on to that. Now, this is not a class on the details of the facts and the evidences for the resurrection. In fact, I'm pleased to say we have two classes coming up about that, one by Simon Dinning and one by Rob Payne, who both made uh, apologetics, the uh, arguing for the evidences of the Christian faith, a bit of a specialty in their lives. And they particularly like talking about the resurrection. And so I've asked them to do, and they're going to do, a class for us, which we'll be putting up uh, this coming week, the first class by Simon, and in the third week of the month, we'll have the class by Rob Payne. So more on the reasons to have uh, trust in the facts of the resurrection from them. But the point being that the resurrection is not just a theory, certainly not just a theory, and it's not only a fact, though it is a fact. It's more than that. It's about a transformational relationship. And I'm going to argue that point by looking at the example of Peter here. Now, first of all, when we encounter the Apostle Peter, and we won't go into all the details here, but um, I think most of us will know the stories. We find that Peter is a bold person when he's following Jesus in many ways. He's the one that often speaks up first. He's the one that takes action first. He has a boldness, but it does appear that it's a little shallow. It's a kind of perhaps a, uh, a brash kind of boldness, more than a deep kind of courage. He does end up being rather fearful. He has an immature uh, reaction to the unexpected situation when Jesus is arrested. In John chapter 18, verses 10 and 11, uh, Jesus is arrested. And what does Peter do? He pulls out his sword and he cuts off the ear of one of the servants of the high priest called Malchus. He cuts off. I mean, that's not what Jesus wanted. That shows an immature understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus. And in Luke chapter 22 and verses 59 to 62, what does he do when he follows Jesus and Jesus goes through his mock trial? What happens is, as you may know, three people come up to him and say, aren't you a follower of Jesus? Aren't you one of those Galileans? Aren't you one of those following him and part of his entourage? And three times, what does Peter say? He says no and no and thrice no. And he says, he said the Bible, the, the passage says that Peter said uh, he called down curses upon himself to confirm that he did not know Jesus. Now, this is a man who's very fearful. And indeed, at that point, it says in one of the gospel readings that Jesus heard what he'd said because it says he turned and looked at Peter. So Peter said, I don't know the man. Jesus turns and looks at him. Doesn't say anything. Just looks at him from where he is further in the courtyard. 
And what does it say that Peter did then? It says that he went outside and wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. He was immature. He was fearful. He was hurt. Um, much like many of us at times in our lives. We go through life and things hit us. And we find ourselves to be less mature than we thought in our faith. We find ourselves more easily hurt than we had hoped. We find ourselves more giving in, giving in to fear than we thought would be right. And perhaps that explains the, the reaction of Peter to the resurrection. Because when the women come back in Luke chapter 24 and verse 12 to tell uh, Peter and the other apostles about the fact that the tomb is empty and something strange is going on, Peter and John run to the tomb. You know what Peter does? He doesn't contemplate the facts that he's hearing. He doesn't question the women further. He doesn't just walk to the tomb. He risks drawing attention to himself by running to the tomb. Men did not run in those days. Maybe when you were being chased by a thief. Maybe when you were in a war and you were a soldier. But men, especially men who are more mature, and Peter, from what we understand, uh, was part of a, a business and was more, he's older at least, than most of the other apostles. And so uh, older men, and men say 30 plus, and Peter almost certainly was, don't run anywhere in that culture. You walk. In fact, the older you get, the slower you walk, not because of arthritis, but because it's part of your dignity. But what does Peter do? He runs to the tomb, Luke 24, verse 12. And then in Mark 16, which I will read for us, I just love this little detail, which was pointed out to me, I don't know, many years ago by somebody, I forget who, or, or I read it somewhere, but in Mark chapter 16, we find this towards the end of the gospel, in the, uh, in the last chapter of the gospel. And it says that uh, the Mary Magdalene, all the Marys go to bring the spices to the body. And they don't know what's going to happen with the stone. And they find it's rolled away. And they go into the tomb. And in there, there is a young man dressed in white. And they're uh, alarmed. Verse 6, don't be alarmed. He said, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. Excellent. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Verse 7. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. Tell his disciples and Peter. Why? And Peter. Because Peter's the only one of the disciples who called down curses on his head to deny that he knew Jesus. And I think the angel knew, Jesus knew, God knew that Peter would need extra reassurance that Jesus wanted this message to go to him as much as any of the other followers of Jesus. Indeed, what we learn from a writer, an early Christian writer called Papias uh, is that uh, the Gospel of Mark, many think, is Peter's Gospel, dictated to Mark, and Mark wrote it down and edited it. And although we have Mark as the author, and he did write it, Mark, we know, was a companion of Peter later in his life, and it's thought that while Peter was in prison, that's what Papias tells us, uh, Mark wrote down the gospel and that's what we have. And so Peter is the kind of chap who would remember this detail. He would remember when the women came back and said, we found an angel, an empty tomb, stone rolled back. And the angel said that Jesus has risen and he wanted us to go and tell the disciples and you, Peter, specifically, that you are to go to Galilee. You're to go to Galilee. Not, not just not the other apostles who didn't deny Jesus, but you, Peter, you're to go. Because ultimately, I think what that's saying is Jesus hasn't given up on you yet. Yes, you failed him. Yes, you gave in to your fear. Yes, you were immature and all these things. But Jesus hasn't given up. I think it's so important for us. I feel like I'm messing up a lot of the time. I feel like I'm not living up to my potential quite a lot of the time. I feel I let people down quite a bit. I feel I let God down 
quite regularly. I certainly sin and I fall short of the the standards of a, what I'd like to live up to as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. But I need to remember, I'm still alive. And so is Jesus. And so he's not done with me yet. And so if you've been giving in to fear recently, or you've been finding your faith to be a little immature, don't think that Jesus doesn't still have a good plan for you doesn't still want to engage with you, doesn't still still want to be connected with you, doesn't still want to hold you and hug you. And even though we can't hug each other at the moment in church, but he wants to hug you by the power of the Spirit and let you know that although you're fearful, your fears don't have to long-term dominate your faith. They don't need to. Maybe they do right now, but that doesn't have to be the case if you have a relationship with Jesus. So we see Peter the fearful. Now we see Peter, Peter the Faithful. Let's talk about Peter the Faithful, what happens after he's seen the risen Lord. And we'll come back to what happened in a minute. But before and after. So before, fearful, immature. After, faithful. How did he live after seeing the risen Lord, after having an encounter? Well, firstly, he takes a lead. He doesn't step back. He doesn't sit back. He doesn't think, well, that's not me anymore. I'm no good. He takes a lead in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. They realize they're one apostle down, don't they? Because Judas has died. He's uh, betrayed Jesus and died. And they know they need another one to fill his place. And so who takes the lead? Who steps forward to sort out the problem that they have? Well, Peter. He says, hey, we need to replace him. Who do we replace him with? They pray. The Spirit helps them. They, they find Matthias. He joins the uh, band of the apostles. And then in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit falls, who's the one to preach that first sermon? Even though he's unworthy, even though he let Jesus down, even though he could be forgiven for thinking, what would John and James say if I stand up and preach that first sermon? It really ought to be them. They didn't deny Jesus. But no, something's changed in him. Now he believes that Jesus can use him and they're reconciled. And so he's the one that stands up and explains what's going on and tells everybody it's about the kingdom. It's about the Messiah. It's about the fulfillment of prophecy. And Jesus is risen from the dead. And you now have the opportunity to repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit and, and, and everything will be amazing. He's the one to take the lead. He's got a real boldness and courage now. We see it in Acts 3 and Acts 4 and 5 and Acts, I mean, all the way through the book of Acts. It's a real, genuine, faith-filled confidence and courage he has now. Instead of the brash, um, or you could say almost arrogance of before. That's how he lived. And he learned also, Peter, to be more flexible than he used to be because he was a very rigid kind of chap uh, early on. But in Acts chapter 10, God gives him a vision and he's told to go and talk to Gentiles. And he doesn't want to do that. He's a good Jew. But God tells him, no, you need to go to the household of Cornelius. He goes there and then he says those immortal words. Oh, now I realize that the gospel is for the Gentiles, not just for the Jews. He learns to become flexible with how he lives to glorify God, to rescue those who are lost so that, uh, so that many can be saved. So he learns that. He takes the lead. He learns to be flexible. And uh, I think rather pleasingly, in many ways, we also see recorded in Scripture that even after this transformation, he's still not perfect, like all of us. Right In Galatians chapter 2, we won't turn to it now, but in Galatians chapter 2, Paul records the fact that Peter, though he was a Jew and had eaten with Gentiles, draws back from the Gentiles, and starts hanging out only with Jewish people. And Paul says, I, I confronted him to his face because he was a hypocrite. He was joining in the hypocrisy of others. Others were joining in his, in his hypocrisy. Paul feels free to say that Peter was being a hypocrite. 
that's pretty powerful stuff. And you may say, well, that's just Paul and Paul and Peter. They were obviously on different sides of things. And, you know, that's the way it was. But I, but, uh, but I think as you read through the passages, you'll realize that, yes, Peter really was in error. But we also know that they got reconciled. Because later on, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 15, so this is towards the end of Peter's life. He's about to die. He knows it. He references the fact he's going to be dying soon. Second Peter 3, verse 15, he talks about the letters. His, he talks about my dear brother, Paul. My dear brother, Paul. He talks about his letters and my dear brother, Paul. Peter could not say my dear brother, Paul, if they'd not been reconciled. And we know because of timing that when Peter wrote that, it was much later than the, the incidents referred to in Galatians chapter 2. So between Peter's hypocrisy and writing Second Peter, we know that they were reconciled. And the Second Peter was written around AD 64, which is when we think Peter, or 62 to 64, when Peter was, was killed, which we'll come back to in a minute. So how did he live? With courage, being flexible to benefit the gospel and the salvation of many. He wasn't perfect, but he knew how to get reconciled. He taught wonderfully. If you read First and Second Peter, two of the most amazing books of the New Testament. And he writes in there about very profound and powerful things connected with having a relationship with God, with the living Jesus. And we won't look at all that right now, but just to say as an example, in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, Sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4, for example, he talks about his divine power, the power of God and Jesus, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, I love this, you may participate in the divine nature. You and me, you and I, we may participate in the divine nature. That's incredible. We do this because you've escaped from the corruption in the world. We've escaped from the corruption in the world because of the cross and the resurrection. And therefore, we get to participate in the divine nature. Peter preached, taught that you and I can have this participation in the divine nature, a transformed life, a transformed life brought about by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He lived and he taught very differently after his encounter with the risen Christ compared to before. And how did he die? How did he die? How did he die? Did he die faithful? Well, we believe so. In John chapter 22, towards the end of that uh, chapter, we find uh, Jesus giving him um, a prophecy about what will happen later in his life. And it's assumed to be about his death here. And in, um, in verse 18, he says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus talking to Peter, when you were younger, um, you dressed yourself, went where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death Peter, with, by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, follow me. Peter knew, Jesus told him, you're going to die in a, in a way you're not going to enjoy. I mean, none of us are going to enjoy death, I guess, but you're really not going to enjoy this. It's going to be outside your control. And what we know is from uh, early Christian writings is that he was martyred. Let me read to you here an excerpt from a book called um, this book, which I rather like. It's a Dictionary of Early Christian Beliefs by David Perceau. And uh, he uh, has a section here on Peter with writings from early Christians uh, after the Bible, but not very long after the Bible. 
And here is a quote from Clement of Rome, who was writing in about 96 um, AD. So in the first century, so not that long after people like the Apostle John had died. And he says this, Through envy and jealousy, the greatest and most righteous pillars have been persecuted and put to death. Let us set before our eyes the illustrious apostles. Peter, through unrighteous envy, endured not one or two, but numerous labours. And when he had at length suffered martyrdom, he departed to the place of glory due to him. He records Peter as having been martyred. It'd be a ridiculous thing to record that if the people of the day knew he hadn't been martyred, which they would have done if he hadn't been. This was a letter distributed to many of the uh, churches around that time, the 90s AD. So he was martyred, as Jesus had predicted. He died faithful. As the word biblical commentary says about uh, this uh, passage in John 22, Peter's martyrdom will have been known among the churches. The shame of Peter's denials of Jesus will have been obliterated by his blood and the renown of his leadership in the church brought to a notable climax with the gaining of the martyr's crown. The shame of his denials would have been obliterated by his blood. And why did that happen? Because he had a transformational encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, my recommendation for this week, I'm going to finish in a minute with some questions. My recommendation for this week, if you haven't done this before, or at least not recently, is to go back to the Gospel of John. And here I am in John 20, 21. Um, and in John 21, we see the situation where Peter and Jesus get reconciled. It's one of my favourite parts of any of the Gospels. Peter knows he's let Jesus down. He's met Jesus since then, but there's not been a personal encounter that we know of. I think Peter knows he still, he still feels distant from Jesus to some degree. And I think Jesus knows that. And so Jesus goes to the lake where Peter's fishing and cooks him breakfast and has a conversation with him where he reconciles. So they have this transformational encounter. And you may know the story, but three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Do you love, do you really love me? And each time Peter says, I do. I do, you know I do. And each time Jesus says a variation on, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And this is a threefold, three-part conversation, just like the threefold denial earlier. And Jesus is, is cementing their relationship back together, saying, things are different now. I'm resurrected and you are transformed or you're going to be transformed primarily by partly by the conversation and partly by the spirit that comes in Acts chapter 2 of course but he's saying you and me Peter you and me we're going to be fine yes you gave in to your fear yes you, you were immature yes you've been very hurt but that doesn't have to be the future you will still struggle with your sin of course you will but because you and I know each other because you now know me, the resurrected Lord, that I, I have power over the defeat of sin and I have power over death and I live forever, you don't have to, any, don't have to have any more fears. Any immaturity you have, I'm going to help you going through your tests of life to mature. I'm going to teach you to be flexible. I'm going to teach you how to lead in a courageous, faith-filled way. I'm going to show you the way and I'm going to help you stay strong till the day you die. 
who just came back from visiting my father, uh, helping him out with a few things as he, as he goes through the grieving process and the challenge of transitioning in life with my mum dying recently, as most of you will know. And Penny asked my father a super question, just uh, I think it was yesterday, and asked him, how has this loss of your wife, my mum, how has this affected your faith? And my father said, it, you know, if if my wife, if my mother, my, my dad, if my wife could endure so much pain all through her adult life and keep her faith, who am I to deny my faith or deny that faith or, or find that faith inadequate when I'm just going through some grieving? It's tough. My dad still weeps pretty much every day at times and it's really difficult for him. But who, how, how would I honour my wife if I was to let these difficulties um, d- deny my ability to hold on to my faith, seeing as how she held on to hers. She would want me to hold on to my faith, even though I'm hurting, even though I'm grieving. That's a mature faith. That's a faith that's, that's found the courage to be faithful through a tough time. You and I have access to the same strength because we have access to the same Jesus. And this is one of the most wonderful parts of the resurrection is it's not just that Jesus died and was resurrected. It's the that Jesus, in a sense, left us and then came back to be with us forever, be with you forever, every day, every step through your Christian life and mine. So I have some questions for you that I'll let Asagi administer the breakout rooms and how this works. But some things to think about and to discuss in our breakout rooms. Uh, I'd, I'm interested to know later, perhaps, if you want to tell me. But like... Perhaps one question could be, which part or parts of Peter's faith journey do you identify with and why? Which parts of his pre-resurrection encounter and post-resurrection encounter, which parts do you identify with and why might that be? And then another question could be, what is it about the resurrection? What a part of it, what aspect of it has had the biggest impact on the way you live so far? Just two questions. You could discuss anything you like, but just a couple of questions for today. I hope you find this helpful, and I'm so sorry not to be able to be with you, but I commend to you the example of Peter and the love of Jesus that made sure that we have the story we do of not only the risen Christ, but also of a transformed life of Peter going from fear to faith. Take care, and God bless you.